Hey everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study. As always, our goal on this podcast is to really dive into the scriptures, the gospel reading in particular that you will hear at the Catholic Mass today. So we're helping you as Catholics and as other listeners to understand the literal sense of scripture. What does each verse mean? What was what was the author trying to convey to their audience originally? And this is where we should start if we want to understand the Bible better. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. Here's the reading. Jesus was teaching one day, and among the audience there were Pharisees and doctors of the law, who had come from every village in Galilee, from Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was behind his works of healing. Then some men appeared, carrying on a bed a paralyzed man, whom they were trying to bring in and lay down in front of him. But as the crowd made it impossible to find a way of getting him in, they went up onto the flat roof and lowered him and his stretcher down through the tiles into the middle of the gathering, in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, My friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to think this over. Who is this man talking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their thoughts, made them this reply. What are these thoughts you have in your hearts? Which of these is easier? To say your sins are forgiven you, or to say get up and walk? But to prove that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I order you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. And immediately before their very eyes he got up, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. They were all astounded and praised God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. So that's the reading we want to dive into today. It's probably one you've heard quite a few times, and it's throughout the liturgical year, you will hear it a few times, because it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and all of those are read at some point. So what's the context here? So Jesus, at this point, early in Luke, he's in the Galilee region, and he's doing healings. Now, Mark's gospel tells us that this scene that we have today occurs in Jesus' own house in Capernaum, and the house is crowded. There's all sorts of people in there. So Peter's house, which apparently becomes Jesus' house, is where this happens in Capernaum, which is interesting because if that's the right interpretation, it means that Uh, It's Peter and Jesus' own house that they open up a hole in the roof of. So verse 17 we start at, it says Jesus was teaching one day, or more literally it just says on one of those days. What's he teaching? Well, we don't know. He's probably teaching and interpreting the Old Testament for them. And all sorts of people are gathering around. This is the first time that the Pharisees appear in Luke's Gospel. So the Pharisees, there's, there's a bit we can say about them. And in fact, we talk about them a bit more in the podcast in other parts of the Gospels, where they confront Jesus directly. But for now, we'll just say that the Pharisees were the official authoritative teachers and interpreters of the law at that time in Judaism. So they had authority to help people understand the Old Testament, and in fact, they had authority to make the Jews do certain things as part of their requirements of Judaism. They were quite stringent in their obedience to the law, and they required all Jews to follow their own stringent interpretations. Luke also says we have here the doctors of the law, or teachers of the law, is a better translation of that. Apparently, these are the scribes, and the scribes are those who are theological experts in the Old Testament. So, they're the highly trained 
experts in the Old Testament, and they hang around with the Pharisees a lot. We're going to see here the first of five controversies between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. So if you look at chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Luke, there's five controversies. This is the first one. And Luke also tells us that there's a crowd here from every village in Galilee, from Judea, and from Jerusalem. And in fact, the Pharisees himself have even come from Jerusalem, Luke says. So by now, Jesus had become so well known that Pharisees had even come from Jerusalem to investigate, which is quite significant because it's not often that high-ranking Pharisees in Jerusalem would make their way up to Galilee. So Jesus must really be attracting attention here. Now, at this stage, they don't necessarily want to take Jesus down. They're just interested in what he has to say. They want to hear his interpretation of the law. And Luke adds this editorial comment here. He says, the power of the Lord was behind his works of healing. Or you can translate this, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So Luke makes it clear that Jesus' healings are empowered by God. Verse 18, then some men appeared carrying on a bed a paralyzed man whom they were trying to bring in and lay down in front of him. Now we don't know why this man is paralyzed. All we know is that he's paralyzed, he can't walk, and that means that he can't just walk through the door. So his friends have to carry him in on a stretcher. But the crowd made it impossible to find a way of getting in. So there's so many people that they can't get the stretcher in. So they come up with a different strategy. They went up onto the flat roof and lowered him and his stretcher down through the tiles into the middle of the gathering. Or more literally, into in the midst before Jesus. Now this might seem a bit mean to Peter's family. They're literally digging a hole in Peter's roof here. It wasn't actually a big deal in that culture. So in that culture, roofs were beams made of thatch and clay, and they could be repaired reasonably easy. So you could actually dig a hole in the roof reasonably easy, and it was easy enough to patch up. So it's not a big deal that they, it's not a big offense to the family that they um, make a hole in the roof here. But certainly it would have been quite distracting to everyone that was trying to listen to the sermon. They're trying to listen to Jesus speak. They can see and they can hear someone making a hole in the roof. And then all of a sudden, this uh, stretcher gets lowered down from the roof. Verse 20, Jesus sees their faith. Whose faith, we should ask? Jesus sees the man's friends lowering the man through the roof. He's talking about their faith. Jesus perceives that these men who are lowering the stretcher, they have great faith that their friend will be healed if he gets to Jesus. He perceives they have real faith. So what Jesus says next is in response to the faith of the man's friends. The real star of the show here, you could say, is the man's friends. It's their faith that makes the healing happen. And Jesus turns to the, the man, the paralyzed man, and says, my friend. So notice Jesus' tenderness here, my friend. And then he says this, this bombshell, your sins are forgiven you. Now, the word here for forgive, it's aphemi in Greek, and that's very similar to the Greek word that's used for liberty. In the chapter just before this, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus proclaims his mandate in Nazareth, he has that long sermon and he says, I've come to bring liberty to the captives. It's the same word here, the same Greek word. So what we see here with Jesus saying he can forgive sins, it's an extension of the jubilee principle of liberty that Jesus has come to bring. This will be a bombshell moment. All Jews believe that only God could forgive sins. That's made clear in Psalm 103. It's in Isaiah 43 as well. That was the Jewish belief. Only God can forgive sins. Even the priests in the temple could not really forgive sins. They could only cover them. But here, Jesus just says, your sins are forgiven you. 
He's saying it on his own authority. So to them, that sounds like blasphemy. He's just said, your sins are forgiven. That's blasphemous because only God can do that. Now, we as Christians, of course, know and we believe that Jesus is God. So he's not being blasphemous. But of course, Jesus doesn't ever come right out and say, I am God. So from the perspective of his hearers here, they think he's being blasphemous. Now, many scholars have pointed out the fact that he forgives the man's sins before he does anything else. He hasn't healed the man yet of the paralysis. He's just forgiven the man's sins. Why is that? He seems to be deliberately focusing on the man's sins first. He's going to the root problem in the man's heart, and he's dealing with the more serious paralysis of sin. So in Jesus' view, the consequences of sin are more serious than the consequences of illness. And this is actually unpacked later in chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Jesus here sees into the man's heart and releases him from a burden of guilt that he had borne. Maybe he sees that this man has borne sin for unconsciously for many years. He sees this man needs a deeper healing from his sin. It's the precondition to his being freed of his physical handicap. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to think this over. Or more literally, it says they began to question that Jesus has said, your sins are forgiven. And this is what they say, or rather, this is what they think. They don't say it out loud. Who is this man talking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is a good question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they perceive here that Jesus is claiming to forgive sins. Now, on top of that, think away about the way that forgiveness worked at that particular time. So if you wanted to be forgiven, it had to be done at the temple, or at least if you wanted to have your sins dealt with, it needed to be done at the temple. Jesus puts himself on par with God here, and he bestows on this man the forgiveness of sins that normally could only happen in the temple. He forgives his the man's sins by his own authority and on his own terms. It's quite radical what he's saying. We need to feel the force of this. Your sins are forgiven. Verse 22, Jesus aware of their thoughts. Notice he reads their minds here. This is a, an ability that Jesus uses sometimes, but not other times. And here, he perceives the thoughts of the Pharisees. And he says this to them. What are these thoughts you have in your hearts? More literally, what you can translate this as, why do you question in your hearts? In fact, Matthew's version of this is, why do you have such wicked thoughts in your hearts? So he really can see into the hearts of the Pharisees here and see their skepticism. Verse 23, then he asks them this, which of these is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say, get up and walk? This might strike us as a weird question. It's supposed to be a rhetorical question. There's supposed to be an obvious answer. The obvious answer is that saying your sins are forgiven is much easier than telling the man to get up and walk. It's more likely that the man's sins will be forgiven than that he'll walk. That's much more likely. This is a paralyzed man. He's not just going to get up and walk, but it's much more likely or more possible that his sins will be forgiven. And Jesus simply says, which one is easier to say? And the answer is, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. But given that that's the case, given that doing a physical healing is actually harder than that, Jesus is about to show that he has the power to do the harder one. And logically, that means if he can do the harder one, that means he has the power to do the easier one as well. So what he is doing here with this question is he's establishing, getting them to agree that yes, telling, getting a paralyzed man to walk is harder than, having, than saying his sins are forgiven. Having established that ground, he's then going to say, well, look, I can heal this man physically, which logically means I can do the easier thing as well, which is to heal and forgive his sins. 
Verse 24, Jesus goes on to prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So as in what he means here is to prove that I have just performed the easier one, I'm now going to perform the harder one. So notice his reasoning here. He's trying to convince them that he does have the authority to forgive sins. Let's unpack this phrase a bit. To prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. When he says to prove to you, this is a key phrase. In the Old Testament, there's oftentimes when God works a miracle so that the people know that he's God. And it uses this language of, I will prove to you that I am who I say I am. And Jesus uses similar language here. And then he calls himself the Son of Man. This is a mysterious messianic title. It's the first time it's used in Luke, but it gets used a lot later on. It actually appears a few times in the Old Testament. The main place and the most significant place the phrase Son of Man occurs in the Old Testament is in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 8, it predicts that there's going to be a human messenger from heaven that will come one day, and he's called the Son of Man. In its original context, the Son of Man probably represented the people of God as a whole, as, as in the people of God, as they appear before God. But by the time of Jesus, they had come to see, and particularly the Essenes had come to perceive, that this Son of Man also is going to find its fulfillment in a single figure, who will be the Messiah and will represent the people of Israel. Jesus is quite comfortable using this title for himself. So whenever Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's admitting that he's the Messiah. He says, The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus performs this miracle of healing the paralyzed man so that they understand that one of the things the Messiah can do is forgive sins. That's the point he's making. Notice he says specifically, though, son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And apologists often talk about this phrase on earth. Jesus is affirming, it appears to be affirming that God, the father is the only one who can forgive sins in heaven, but he's telling them something new which is that God has delegated his authority to the Messiah while the Messiah is on earth. So in heaven, the father forgives sins, but he's sent his son, the Messiah, to forgive sins on earth. He's delegated his authority. The father delegates that authority to the son, and after the son leaves, that same authority Jesus delegates to the apostles. Remember, what does Jesus say to the apostles later in the the Gospel of John? Jesus says to the apostles, whatever sins you are, you forgive are forgiven, whatever sins you retain are retained. As, and this is made particularly clear in Mark's version of this. The crowd seems to understand that that's what he's saying, that God has given the Messiah the power to forgive sins on earth, which is quite incredible. And it actually helps from an apologetic perspective, because the authority the apostles have to, to forgive sins is really the same authority that the father gave the son to forgive sins. It's just after the son leaves, he transfers that authority to the apostles. It's interesting when you think about it from that perspective. Jesus here says, I order you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. And then the man does it straight away. In this case, it's apparently the word of Jesus that heals the man. He doesn't touch the man. He just says, get up and go home. And that's what heals the man. Presumably the man here, the paralyzed man has faith that Jesus can indeed heal him because Jesus never heals if there's no genuine faith. There might be a connection here between the prior healing of the man's sins and his physical healing. Maybe one had to happen before the other. Verse 25, immediately before the very eyes, he got up, picked up what he had been lying on and went home praising God. This would have been quite amazing to see. Imagine that you're there at that time. This man, and probably many of the community 
know this man. He's been paralyzed for a long time. And then they just see him get up and walk in response to Jesus just telling him to get up and walk. It would be quite amazing. Verse 26, they were astounded, or you can translate that, amazement seized them all. And they praised God and were filled with awe. Notice the verbs that are being used here. They praised God. They were filled with awe. At this point of Jesus' ministry, everyone is still very positive about him, and they're glorifying God as a result of his miracles. It's all going very well. People are turning to God as a result of what they're seeing Jesus do. Now, they probably don't recognize him as the Messiah necessarily, but they do recognize that God has given this man power. Now, soon we know that the scribes and the Pharisees begin to develop a grudge against Jesus. And Luke here goes on to say that the crowd says, we have seen strange things today. So this crowd, they've seen rabbis before. They might have even seen some exorcisms done by rabbis before, but this is something entirely different. This here is a man who can heal paralyzed people and forgive sins based purely on his own authority. So that's the end of our text today. If you want to hear the next section, that's verse 27 to 32, which is about the call of Levi, the tax collector. You can hear that on Saturday after Ash Wednesday. Let's turn to the Catechism, and there's one place here where we see a reference to Luke chapter 5, and that's in the section about the sacraments, paragraph 1116, about the sacraments of Christ. Sacraments are powers that come forth from the body of Christ, which is ever-living and life-giving. They are actions of the Holy Spirit at work in his body, the Church. They are the masterworks of God in the new and everlasting covenant. So notice that first line, sacraments are powers that come forth from the body of Christ. And here the Catechism interestingly references this particular healing. It sees this healing of the paralyzed man as a really good example of power coming forth from Christ. Possibly because here Jesus does two types of healing. He forgives the man's sins, which could match on to confession, and he heals the man's paralysis, which could map onto the anointing of the sick. So you can sort of see two sacraments built into the way he treats this man. I hope you learned something new from today's episode. Please continue to keep the ministry in your prayers and feel free to send in your questions at any time to logicalbiblestudy at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message as well through the show notes. Any questions you ask will get included in the show in a future episode. Thanks and hopefully you'll tune in again tomorrow.